Vista Community Church Online. My name is Justin, and I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're here with us today. As we head into the Christmas season this year, we're reminded that we still have just as much to look forward to. Our God is still faithful, and Christmas hasn't changed because we have the same hope of our coming Savior. But obviously, some of the ways we celebrate are going to be different. This year, we're excited for our upcoming Christmas celebration at Dublin Jerome High School, entitled He is Still King. It will be outdoors, so you'll be able to enjoy the sound of the season from your car. You can find out all the details at vistacommunitychurch.org. Again, thanks for being here with us. We're looking forward to what God has in store for us this Christmas season. Now let's worship together.
that again. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. ourselves this question we hear this a lot is he worthy and there's this beautiful measurement of asking ourselves is he worthy is he worthy of this song is he worthy of this time is he worthy of my outstretched hands is he worthy of of this space that I share with with the king of glory he is worthy he is worthy he's worthy of all of the praise there's this measurement in revelations 5 where he sees tens of thousands of angels worshiping, saying, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, who is worthy of blessing and honor and strength and power. And then it goes on and it says, every creature in heaven and in earth, in the sea, under the earth, everything, literally everything that has breath, goes forth and says, worthy, he is worthy. He is the God of power and of strength and might and wisdom. He is all of these things. And at that same moment, every person, everything with breath is saying, yes, he is worthy. Yes, he is worthy. Yes, he's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my time. He's worthy of this song. He's worthy of the air in my lungs. He's certainly worthy of this moment. So ask yourself this morning, is he worthy? So when you say, I'll give him all the glory, we'll give him all the glory, we'll give him all the glory. everything you have, wherever you are, sing this, for he alone, for he alone is worthy, for he alone is worthy, for he alone is worthy, sung, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. There's this beautiful picture of all the things that we can say about what we know about the most high God. Yes, holy is the Lord. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. What a picture that was to be 
in heaven, to have a glimpse of what happens in heaven. If millions and millions of angels are crying out, holy, holy, worthy is the lamb, then what is our song today? When angels look up to us as God's creation made in his image, if angels cry out by the millions as they bow and they say, he is worthy, he is full of glory, he is powerful and mighty, then us as his image, what would our song be?
time we hear your name, let it be our prayer today. Jesus, your name is power, breath, your breath in the living water, such a
Thank you, team. That was awesome. Entirely awesome. All right. Welcome. Glad you could be here this morning. I don't know uh, where you are or even when you are. <laughs> I don't know if you're at home. I, I don't know if it's uh, 9 o'clock. I don't know if it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I don't know if you're driving, if you're listening to it audibly, if it's uh, uh, three days from now. It could be three months from now. Wh- wherever you are, whenever you are, I'm glad you tuned in. We are excited to be together, even if only technologically. Um, Let me encourage you to find some way to be connected uh, more than technologically, uh, relationally in some means, um, (laughs) even if it's through more technology. Get into a Zoom group. Get into some sort of a texting prayer group. Find some way to stay in community. Uh, It's essential essential for your soul. Essential. Nonetheless, thanks for being with us in whatever form, shape, time, place you are. If I asked you what you know about kings, what do you know about kings? K-I-N-G-S. I suspect that our combined knowledge would be severely limited. That's what I think. What would you talk about if we say, let's talk about kings? Well, you could talk about uh, the Sacramento Kings from California. I don't know why you would, but you could. You could talk about them. Maybe you'd even remember that they used to be the Cincinnati Kings. That, that's, that's fun. That's something to remember. You might talk about Kings family restaurants, but it, you would only be talking about those if you were from the Pittsburgh area. Uh, you might talk about the king on a chessboard. You might, you might even know, even if you're not a chess player, that that's the most important piece. You might even think about the kings that are in a deck of cards, you know. Um, I, don't, I don't know. But the point is, we don't know much about You know what we know the, we know the most about? What king we know the most about? Burger King. That, that's, the, that's the king we know the most about. And I don't know of a company on the planet that has created a more creepy icon than Burger King. The, the one with the, the big head. <laughs> I have nightmares about the Burger King. Uh, it, the, the, the reality is that there aren't even many really absolute kings in the world anymore. There's a, there's a couple dozen monarchies in the world of our 200 countries, but only maybe a handful, three or four or five at the most, are absolute you know, you know, sovereign kings. And even then, it's, it's, it's primary. Saudi Arabia it would be the main one. And other than that, your chances of being and serving under a king are remote. I'm going a long way to make a point here. We don't know much about kings. We really don't. You, you, could, you could flip that, that whole idea if you think about ancient history and, and, the, and the ancient world, when states were becoming sovereign and boundaries were being placed uh, solidly in, in the ancient world, everybody, everybody had a king. The, 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 we don't know anything about kings, but back then, you, you either, you, what, the question wasn't whether you had a king, 
or not. It was whether you had a good king or a bad king. And if you happen to have a, if you happen to have a good king, you knew it was only a matter of time until he, he was a bad king. Uh, the axiom holds true. Absolute power uh, corrupts. Absolutely. It does. Good kings become bad. But the question is well, you, not whether you would have a king or not back in ancient times. And, and, and you needed a king. You wanted a king. Because even bad kings would marshal resources and people to protect the borders. To keep you safe. To create some kind of an economy. To build some sort of a justice system. Yes, you, you needed a king, and back then you had one. For us today, we don't know much about kings at all. So when Jesus arrives on the stage and said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, for us today, when we read that, we really don't know what's going on. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And what you see in the rest of the Gospels, the four first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, among other things, you see a narrative, a historical narrative, capturing the installment of Jesus as the king of the kingdom of heaven. He said, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And at the end of, uh, of his reign, or at the end of his time on earth, he says this, Jesus came to all, the disciples and he said, all authority, listen to this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. This is how Paul writes about it to the church in Colossians. The son, S-O-N, son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body. The church. So that in all things he might have preeminence. When was the last time you that, used that word? Preeminence. It means surpassing all others. So Jesus wasn't just setting himself up against the Roman king of the time, Tiberius, who was a deeply bad king, always. It was bigger than that. Claiming that heaven was the origin of his kingdom. Right? Who does that? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. So that's where his kingdom is from, where it originates. And that's where his authority, his ordaining authority comes from. He is virtually claiming to be king of kings. King over not just all the earth and all of creation, but to be the owner of it all. You know what kings tried to do? They tried to gather all the resources they could. They would take them and pillage and they would, they would conquer and try to get all the resources. And Jesus is like, my kingdom, I already own it all. Whatever you have, it's mine. I'm the king over all of this. When Jesus said repent, he wasn't setting up 
a separate kingdom on earth to pick up some stragglers. Like a new church in town or a new business trying to attract a new market share or another world religion. As Jesus began to invite followers into his kingdom and into his kingship, he wasn't saying, hey, if you need a king, I'm here for you. No, he was saying, repent. Abandon your kings. They're insufficient and they're awful. And your idols too. We don't use that term very often either, idols. Idols are uh, really the symbols of the primary pursuits and loyalties of your life. They're the things in our life that we would call trophies. Things that represent the pursuits and the passions of our hearts. Jesus is saying, abandon them all. So we start with a humble presupposition that you have a king, maybe multiple kings, wrong kings. Who is your king? Who is your king? What sort of kings do we trust and follow? That we should need to repent of. Okay, programming note. That clock says 11, 12, 13 seconds. I'm almost certain I've gone longer than that. How long have I gone? About 10 minutes? Am I right? I know I'm, I know I'm packing a lot in here, but I did, that didn't take 15 seconds, did it? Okay. If, that, if I go by that, we're going to be here until like midnight tonight, which I'm fine with, but who is your king? What sorts of kings do we trust, do we follow, do we need to repent of? Well, you know what? It's actually easier to identify the kingdoms with which we affiliate than it is to identify kings. Think about the associations that you're affiliated with. Think of the movements that you buy into. Think of the societies in which you run, the cultures that you support, the leaders that you empower within them. There have always been those things that you can get involved with, movements, associations. In the, in the 50s, it was pretty simple. You had a denomination, a church denomination. You had a political party, which, by the way, you never talked about. You didn't bring up politics. That was a private thing. You would, you would never ask. You would, it's like slapping someone in the face and say, who did you vote for? But you were part of one. 
you might have been a veteran of a foreign war. That, that's a pretty big brotherhood, sisterhood. In the 50s, you might have been part of a union. You might, have, you might have been a part of the association of people that had a degree or a higher degree. You might have been part of a professional consortium. I remember seeing a plaque on my father's wall. It said, you know, uh, uh, Association of Professional Electrical Engineers. <laughs> I don't remember him going to any conferences. I don't know any other one. He just had that, you know. He was a part of that. All those expressions of those associations like in the 50s, they were all very local, right? There, there was no national presence. You, you had barely had a clue what was going on nationally, but you were affiliated with it to some degree, and you might have had some kind of a local expression, uh, uh, some people that got together and celebrated whatever those things were. In the 1960s and 70s, things became a little bit more nationally known. TV really helped that tremendously. There were big movements that people felt that they were nationally a part of. Civil rights with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Music cults, quite honestly. The Beatles, Elvis. Look at some old footage of that stuff, and it's like incredible movements. Bob Dylan, Joan Baez. You had women's liberation with Gloria Steinem. When you get to the 80s and 90s, it became a little bit less personal, actually. Sort of a technological race that we were all in, trying to stay into that space and be on that cutting edge. Return on investment became very important. Stock market, things like that. Addictions were on the rise. You could be identified with your, your addiction. And now, there, there are an incalculable number of movements that afford you the opportunity to attach yourself, to hook your wagon to a kingdom, even nationally, that aligns with your personal experience or your passion. You can be easily a part of a grand movement and seem to even have a voice in it because you can project your voice out there for the whole world because of technology. You can be a part of any number of movements related to the environment, endangered species. I was sitting across from a young lady in an airport overseas somewhere, and she had elephants beautifully tattooed on her arms and shoulders, and I, it just seemed like everywhere. And I said, hey, cool paint, because that's, that's what you say when you're, you're hip. You say, cool paint. Um, at least that was true 10 years ago. I don't, maybe don't say it anymore. And she said, got to save the elephants, man. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you got to save the elephants. You can be involved with uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the ADA, the NRA, the SBA, the NAACP, UNICEF, ACLU, KKK, pro-life, pro-choice, free speech, hate speech, women's right, gender equality, equal pay, Black Lives Matter, adoption movements, multicultural movements, white supremacy movements, militias, woke people, coders, gamers, bottle or breastfed, schedule babies or not, church brand movements, Red Cross, hunger relief, Greenpeace, right, left, Republican, Democrat, Trump, Biden, Apple or Microsoft, Costco or Sam's Club, Facebook followings, Instagram celebrities, professional sports team bandwagons, 
Reddit subcultures, Pepsi or Coke, the Tiger King, or the next hot Netflix series, and on and on and on. And it's no laughing matter. This is a sobering thing that we need to address. We give our time, our attention, our money, our promotion. We give evangelistic energy and often large chunks of our heart, sometimes fully, to these movements. Mike, you say some of these, maybe most of these are good movements. They're not, they're not bad movements. Yeah. Remember what Jesus said? He wasn't asking you if your kings were good or bad. He said, repent of any of your kings, all of them, and make me your only king. Those are the only choices. It's me or the highway. Consider even the national leaders, informal or formal, of the organizations, associations, and movements of which we're a part. Consider the national voices and the organizations associated even with your ethnicity, your race, your religion, your nationality. Think about all those people, all those leaders. You typically and I typically have no say in the appointment of those leaders. And in many cases, we don't even know who the true leaders and organizers are. And most of us, are clueless about the measures and the means that are necessary and tolerated to keep their power and their position and their resources. And of course, every one of those causes is going to be defined as a just cause. Because that's code for whatever it takes, man. We raise the level of importance to the top of our cause. We all do it. When my son was playing soccer when he was eight years old, it was clear to me that his eight-year-old soccer team had to be the center of my universe. All of my life had to evolve around that. And we had like four or five of those but they were all deeply and fully committed to their thing. If you were going to be a part of that, you had to dive in. Think about the movements and associations that you are involved with. Think about the formal and informal leaders within those movements. Think about the consequences being delivered to those within the groups who have the nerve to simply call into question the means by which the ends are getting met. You get canceled or worse. These kingdoms are behaving 
like they are the center of the world. And if you don't buy in, if you, don't, if you question it, you're gone. We make three big mistakes here. We think good cause loyalties are suitable to God to give our hearts to. We don't regard our association with those movements as participation with the organization's ethical compromises and wrongful actions. And we look the other way with respect to leaders of questionable character. No cause, no movement, no association, no loyalty to anything other than Jesus is okay with God. Your association of any degree with a movement or an affiliation is part and parcel to the actions of those movements. And character matters. We got to look at the kingdom's waters that we're wading around in. It's sewage from God's point of view, no matter how good it is. And you don't even have to go any further than your own heart. Think about your own aspirations, your own goals, your own dreams, and the price you're willing to pay the compromises you're willing to make, the behaviors you're willing to justify, the rationalizations you defend, the tolerances that we allow, the people that we hurt, the resources that we spend to attain our dreams. We think, well, if it's my dream and I'm the king, Maybe that's cool with God. No, it's just as bad. Any movement other than God's movement, any leader other than God, whether it's you or anyone else, is to be repented of. All of our teams, all of our associations, all of our identities, goals, dreams, aspirations have kings to whom we must be loyal if we want to belong to those groups and to secure what they have that we want. We are deeply unaware of the sinfulness of our heart and the real reasons that we're involved with the things that we belong to. We pursue other kings and other kingdoms because they give us a more an immediate response, an immediate experience of the promises of security and comfort and purpose and a sense of belonging for me and my friends, and worst of all, we listen to them and we obey them in many ways. But here's the truth. Every earthly king is on track to fail and to go bad. Every king fails to provide what is promised. They all start well because that's the only way to start, but instead of giving, they end up stealing. Instead of performing, they end up pretending. Instead of protecting, they end up abusing. Instead of giving purpose, they leave you in despair. It's a great time to look at an Old Testament passage of an Old Testament prophet named Samuel. He was the the prophet to 
King Saul. Samuel has this unique space in church history, in Israel's history. He was in this sort of transition from the leaders of the Israeli were the, the Israelites from judges were their leaders, the judges to kings. And he was trying to warn them, this is a bad idea. Samuel is dismayed. The people of Israel are demanding a king. Everybody else has a king. Why don't we have a king? We need someone to protect us, someone to guard the borders, someone to give us a life, someone to give us a place to belong, someone to give us an identity. We want a king. They've been begging for this for a long, long time. And God finally says, give it to them. They're rejecting your leadership, Samuel. They're rejecting my voice that I've given you. And they want something other than God's kingship. God's people have been choosing other kings since the very beginning. Few things break his heart more deeply than this constant disloyalty, mistrust, and running around having affairs with other kings. God tells Samuel to warn the people. This is what he says. You can look it up in Samuel chapter 8. This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons. He will take your daughters. He will take your resources and give them to his own officials and attendants. And you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you'll cry for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. How scary is that? How scary is that? The king is going to use you for his purposes the earthly kings that they have come to choose, who we choose, exploit us. The kings of our lives, the leaders and the voices who promise that they have what it takes to get you your desired end are in fact using you and those with whom you associate and recruit in to get what they want and they will toss you aside. We forget a very important lesson here. Every day that we don't repent, every day that we have a loyalty of our heart other than God is another day of invisible hardening of your heart toward God. These leaders and these movements gradually will lure you into their corrupt methods because the more powerful they get, the, more, the, the larger they get, they will become more corrupt Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It is the natural course of a growing organization. It loses its soul and you along with it. You'll be part of the methods, part of the morals, part of the unethical practices and the rationales. Instead of being associated with a cause, you end up being the unwitting accessory to criminal activity and moral decay. And it can be too late for your heart. Your heart can be so hard. 
Paul says to the Romans, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Their minds were deceived and their hearts got darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the glory of immortal God for images. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Jesus says, walk away from all of that and make me your king and belong to my kingdom, my movement only. This is exactly what we see going on uh, in, the, in the 30 to 34 AD when Jesus was making these statements. Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come. Follow me. The gospels describe this coronation of Jesus as king and it explores the lives of those first converts to his kingship. In particular, in the gospel, we see 12 to 20 men and women, disciples of Jesus, reorienting their lives to a new king. It's pretty inexplicable. Why were a ragtag bunch of primarily young people of already suffering reputations sabotaging any hope of a normal life by responding to this new king's invitation? Why were they risking their own pe- their safety and other people's safety and security, their very own lives, to anoint this Jesus their personal king? Why were they turning their backs on their historic, ancient, time-proven heritage? families to embrace this obscure, arguably crazy, rural carpenter, self-appointed seemingly king of no repute. And why on earth did they continue to respect him rather than repudiate him after he allowed loyal brothers and sisters to die on his watch, after failing to dominate their enemies like he could certainly have done, and after allowing himself to be condemned and crucified along with common criminals. And why on earth, after Jesus failed, died, disappeared, would each and every one forsake what little promise they had at recovery? Why instead did they send out and did they go out in every direction of the compass points to pour out their lives and their blood? How is it that they weren't obsessed with recovering some semblance of dignity, but just kept deferring their own lives for others' sake? Why would someone give their very life or the rest of their lives for someone who died and disappeared, who was arguably a liar or a lunatic? How is it possible that after that huge disappointment that their lives just didn't turn upside down? How did they not just deteriorate and decompensate into depressive pools of sadness? How did they they go on without any dignity? How is it that they instead flourished in character and mission. How is it that none of them, not one, ever became disloyal to that king? How is it that their hearts didn't become embittered by the world that was so corrupt, but softer and softer? How is it that their attitudes weren't harsh, but humble? How is it that their relationships weren't abusive, 
but compassionate. How is it that with minimal possessions and resources that they weren't hoarding, but they were still sharing? And how is it that they could go to their death, whether weeks later or decades later, with an overwhelming, undeniable peace and joy, not only reflected in their face, but deeply within their soul. Because between the dying and the disappearing, it all became clear to them. Because Jesus rose from the dead to some new, inexplicable, physio-spirit life. And he lived another month knocking on doors with his hard, fleshly bone and fist and walking through doors. And then he ascended and disappeared into the heavens. By rising, Jesus proved all that he declared was true. He was the son of God. He is the owner of everything. He is the king over all of the cosmos and this new heavenly race, if you will. A new way had come and he was Jesus, the way maker. A new king to sacrifice for and declare loyalty. There was a new kingdom coming into being and its king was the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. Read your gospels and you'll see the coronation of a king and new followers of the king. Who is your king? What would it be like if a new king, a truly powerful king, came along and promised to make a way for you to have what you were always designed for, to bring the greatest value and purpose to your life and to those with whom you associate? And what if his promise provided you a status and a place and a purpose at a tremendous cost to himself? And he proved it. And what if this tribe didn't pit one tribe against the other? What if it didn't manipulate people toward great causes only to garner the power and the resources from them? What if it didn't fracture associations and relationships? What if it didn't divide people groups? What if it didn't discard individuals, was actually able to unite and heal people and nations and a world? What if this king was the king of the true and transcendent human race of eternal souls to which everyone is invited to abandon their ineffective, destructive, egocentric earthly kings, come to taste and see and live a new way in a new kingdom of goodness and beauty. What if? You can. He says it to you. Look at me. Listen to me. That's what Jesus says to you. Stop. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm the king. 
Jesus wasn't just inviting them. He was inviting you, me, to use our God-given freedom of choice to abandon, repent, turn away from all of our current kingships and choose him, the one and only king. It's the most fantastic offer in history. A new race is needed. A new tribe is necessary. And it's now. And it's us. There's no better time than right now. There are endless reasons for humanity to be united around the problems of to, to cooperate with what's going on and we are more divided than we ever have been. I'm telling you right now, there is no solution on earth that brings unity and healing and health and beauty and goodness. Not one. True Lasting unity will only ever, ever, ever be found through the abandonment of all earthly kings of our alliances and associations and anointing a heavenly king, namely Jesus. Only then do we have the capacity to live without fear, without all the terribly destructive purposes and practices that undermine healthy societies. Can you imagine the global impact of an ever-expanding nation of people committed to grace, sacrifice, prayer, compassion, humility, honor, honesty, hospitality, all of the characteristics of God made possible in us when we anoint Jesus our King and receive his spirit in our heart. Can you imagine what it would be like if true Christianity started sweeping the planet? A heavenly tribe, race, nation, of people who knew and practiced that how the game is played is far more important than winning the game. Where politics, economics, or histrionics are not going to save the day. That the greater good is always better than my good. That keeping my word is more than any important of any of my success or yours. That nothing just justifies a lie of any degree that there should be absolutely no hypocrisy in one's life, that convenience nor savings is acceptable rationale for doing business with bad character, that violence is never met with violence, ever, that opposing views create no anxiety, opposing views create no threat, that speaking well of opponents and enemies is genuine, that no immoral, unethical, or unsavory means ever justifies even the best of ends. Those who, uh, those who fail to live up to the highest standards quickly confess and invite correction and accept consequences. Where the most difficult and tragic of times don't even touch our hope. Can you imagine if true Christianity the kingdom of Jesus swept the globe. These kind of examples are exactly what begin to describe his kingdom and the characteristics of a nation, 
under the kingship of Jesus. Are you ready to anoint the new king of your life? Oh boy, it doesn't save 15 seconds anymore. <clears throat> you, want to, you want to anoint a new king, king of your life? You want to know what it means that Jesus came, what, what his birth, uh, the, the Christmas celebration is, the advent of the king? Do you want to know how to truly embrace that? You know, where, you know how you embrace that? The first thing you do is you get on your knees and you grab something to drink and something to eat. This is where it starts, right here. You can't come to the kingdom the way you are. You can't just come in. And you cannot fix what's wrong that allows you to come in. And you can't earn it. You have to bow. You have to, you have to, you have to express your allegiance. But you have to be forgiven. You have to be purified. So you bow before the king. And you say, I want to be. I want you to be my king. And he says, well, I need to be your rescuer first. I need to be your savior first. I need to cleanse you. You need to trust me to make you clean. You deserve God's wrath, but he's poured it out on me. He broke my body for you. You eat that. He said, I poured out my blood so you don't have to pour out your blood and you drink it. And you bow your head and you make yourself low And I, yeah, I don't deserve it. But I want to be in your kingdom, God. I want you to be the only king. And he says, because of me, not because of you. Because I'm done, you rise. You stand. You're in. You trust me to forgive you, to purify you. Receive my grace. You're in. He's your king and your rescuer. Then what do you do? <laughs> I don't have time to tell you. We'll talk about it next time. There is so much to do. There is a way to engage this world passion movements and justice movements. There's work to be done, but there is a way to do it where we stay loyal to one. And we need to talk about that. There's a way to make your allegiance known in the world through your gratefulness, through your joy, through your generosity. There's a way to show your allegiance through the disciplines of your life through scripture and worship and submission 
sensitivity to the Spirit. There's a way to show your allegiance in this world by always choosing others over yourself. Not when you're strong, when you're weak. When you're tired and sad and empty and poor and confused and doubting. That is how you show your allegiance and your faith to the King of Kings, to the King of the heavenly kingdom, to the one who owns it all. No matter how bad it gets, you show your allegiance by Him by keeping on. Church, we got a lot of work to do. But the first thing we need to do is repent and follow Jesus. It's a lifetime of figuring out. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a singular act on our knees, a confession for unworthiness, to grip hold of the hand of the rescuer, and then his lifetime of locked in with him, of figuring out how to live it out. without giving away our heart and our loyalties to somebody else. This next weekend, we're doing an outdoor celebration called He is Still King. You just drive in, watch it for a little less than an hour, celebrate the king. Because in the midst of all this, that's going on around us. He is still king. It is worth celebrating. If it's 50 below, it's worth celebrating. We need to celebrate. We need to be together, even if it's car to car. Come, invite your friends. Rejoin. Reaffirm your king. See you soon.